Welcome to the first Efficient Private Clients podcast. Here we delve into the intricacies of the financial world and bring you our latest market and economic expertise. Today, we are taking a closer look at the last two decades of the global financial environment, the events that have shaped the financial landscape as we know it, and what this means for the next decade. I'm Kyle Parpy, an investment specialist at Efficient Private Clients and your host for today. We are joined by Dr. Francois Stoffberg, our Managing Director, or as I like to call him, our next great economist. Francois, today as we look at the financial landscape over the next two decades, I can't help but think that it's fair to say that we are going to have an interesting next decade to come. Definitely. What are your thoughts? Yes, I think uh, to try and understand where we're going, it's always good to look where you're coming from. Uh, There are long-term trends or cycles or seasons Uh, that tend to repeat itself. I mean, we have seasons every year. We have four seasons. And the same with uh, uh, money, debt, debt cycles, long-term debt cycles, credit cycles that go with that, Um, uh, business cycles, as we've come to know um, uh, around the world, which usually were between five and seven years. And, uh, And I think it's interesting to understand how the world was and how the world might change in this landscape, in this, in the, in, in this, big cycle if you want to call it if you want to call it that the, the there's an amazing uh, book that was written by uh, ray dalio who's the uh, it was well he founded the largest hedge fund in, in, in the world that's still today the largest hedge fund where he delved into these long-term trends to try and understand where are we um is what we're seeing now something new or something different mm. uh, and it and it turns out well we're still humans we're still yes. we're <laughs> many of us are, are. many of us are still greedy we still we're still passionate and so if, if that doesn't change, the, the, the outcome shouldn't change either. Progression shouldn't change either. Yeah. Uh, and then certain pitfalls shouldn't change either. Uh, so what we've seen, and so if we don't look back 100 years necessarily, which some of these long-term cycles play out in 100 to 150 years, but just since 2000, mm-hmm. it's important to understand that the world, something happened there. We had this great commodity super cycle that really boosted the emerging markets. And what also happened at that same time was that the Federal Reserve in the US, they kept interest rates low. That, that, that they, they accommodated the economy, the consumers, um, uh, uh, at the cost of, of, of investors. Um, uh, but, but those making debt really got, got a big boost from low interest rates. And then in 2008, it was ca- kind of this accumulation of events you had uh, the, this easy monetary policy bomb that exploded in the in the what do you call it the, the mortgage um, mortgage bond mortgage space. bond space mm-hmm. uh, in the in, in the US and then it was kind of the end of the emerging market cycle as well so they the converged um, on one another there was a lot of money a lot of excess liquidity and everything mm-hmm. was flowing around and it was one bad investment after the next one as we all saw the the movie the big short yeah, and the, the so-called great convergence. That's it, exactly, exactly. And and what what usually should have happened then is you have a very deep recession, which we did have 2008-09, and then things actually have to restart. Mm. That that's the that's idea, the great restart, the great restart, the normalization. But what happened is that the pain of the recession was too much for these rich world, rich countries, mm. the developed world. And what they ended up doing was to to make monetary policy loose, even looser. Mm. Um, uh, they, uh, they they didn't just keep in, bring interest rates back down, but they started this thing called 
quantitative easing, yes. which is not something new. Uh, in fact, the Japanese have been doing it for three, more than three decades yep. now. Our zombie economy. Yes, exactly. So, so now we are, we were in this place where the the Americans and especially the the Europeans, uh, the, the European Central Bank, they they played around with the short side of the of our yield curve, but also then on the long side um, of the yield curve to support uh, the economy through the pain of. The global financial crisis, which at that time was the deepest and the darkest recession that we've had, yes. it's probably only a, comparable to the 1930s Great Depression that we saw that that, that that we saw in the U.S. So, what then happened as a result of now even easier monetary policy uh, and even more liquidity, as that the business cycle got extended. Mm. Okay, so now the business cycle um, got extended. And what that means is that the economy, the U.S. economy, and even the, the well, the ECB, they, they're a bit of a of a conundrum. But the, the the U.S. economy didn't enter a recession again for more than a decade, which was its longest expansionary cycle in its history, mm. which is really which is really saying something yes. about such a large economy, which is a clever thing to yeah, do. A because, dominant economy. Because imagine you are the largest economy in the world, and instead of going in a recession and seeing capital flight. A capital flight and consumers under pressure, you can keep the economy going for longer. And that's, we yes. believe in compound interest. It's the mm. eighth wonder of the world, like Einstein said. So now you have the biggest economy in the world growing on the biggest economy in the world, compounding 2% on 2% on 2% for now longer than a decade, yes. longer than the normal five to seven year business cycle. So clever idea in, in, in principle, um, I, I, would, I, would, I would definitely give them that. But it, it, changed, it changed a lot of the 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 pricing of assets in the world and i think that's that's where, where we want to get at is if you have a environment where interest rates are low you can't invest in the money market you can't because interest rates are yeah, were it's negative yeah. it's worth nothing it was negative you can't invest in bonds because yields back then were the lowest that they've been in the history of mankind mm. and uh, we had this amazing uh, we saw this amazing research uh, that was conducted by one of the leading uh, research houses in the world, where they looked at interest rates as far back as the the, the Egyptians, the pharaohs. And that's like 5,000 times. A little ancient times. And there was a, a grain trader who borrowed money for his for his um, for, for seed to mm-hmm. sow in, in a specific season. And I think the interest rate that he paid was like 25 or 27%. There was a, a, a religious reason for that. I can't remember everything. Yeah. So that was 25%. And then since then, they have this what they considered what was the leading economy globally. So then it was them, and then it was the, the Persians, the Syrians, and then Babylonians, and then eventually in the modern world, the Italians, the French, the British, and then the Americans. And so every time they take this, this global powerhouse, mm. and they see what were the interest rates, the bond rates in that period. And lo and behold, interest rates reached an all-time low over the last decade. All time, all, yeah. all, all time. So you can't invest in money markets. You can't invest in bonds. Property, we're not going to touch on that mm, uh, juggernaut no, today. We're not going to touch on that one. But listed property, couldn't invest in listed property. Prices was, were, were, were skyrocketing uh, around the world and all these big uh, um, uh, major metropolitans. We, we, we read about that. So you, you can't invest in, in that either. Then alternatives. Now, the thing about alternatives like hedge funds is hedge funds do very well when there's a lot of volatility. Mm-hmm. So the 2000 to 2008 period where all, we had all this volatility, they flourished. They oh, had yes. massive printing yeah. years. But if volatility is not there, there's no, nothing to be uncorrelated against. There, there's, there's no... There's there's no hedge if you, if you want to see it. So I couldn't do alternatives. So the only other asset class that remained was equities. Yeah. The big boy. The big boy. 
So it was natural to see in this environment where monetary policy as is as accommodative as it's ever been, that that liquidity would flow towards equities because that was the only traditional financial asset mm. that it could flow into. And then the default, essentially. Exactly. And remember, these large institutions and banks and pension funds, they can't invest in art. Well, they can to a certain extent, but yeah. 5% of their portfolio, where's the rest going? Mm-hmm. Or, or I'm just using art as an example, but I mean alternatives outside of the traditional financial space. Um, private equity is, is another good example. So money flowed towards equities and then in equities it's also un- important to understand to which equities did the money flow mm. now money flew flowed flowed they flew yep. flew as well yeah it was yep. literally flying was helicopter exactly. money now in the, in the in the end of the in the end of the monetary policy cycle but it flowed to companies with high cash flow free ca- high, free, high free cash flow and low debt and yes. which companies are these the fangs of the world yeah the technology companies the top performers the, the top performers so it was equities won, and then these large tech firms also won. Mm, mm. So that's why market-based passives also won. The market-based passive yeah. that everybody started loving, the, the market-capped indexes, they absolutely outperformed, outperformed many asset, mm. um, active asset managers as well, but for a specific reason. That's, what I'm, that's really what I want to get at. And then we had this very rocky period, 2018, end of 2018, we had a 15% market correction. Then we have the 2020 COVID V-shaped recovery, but still a deep one. People got a little bit frightened. And then in 2022, last year, we had another major correction. Yes. And it was kind of brought out, yes, inflation is the story, but interest rates, there was this great normalization now um, of these large central banks around the world, the ECB, the, uh, the, the, well, maybe not the Japanese yet, the British, and definitely, of course, the Americans. So now, as interest rates increase, things start normalizing. The way you price assets starts normalizing. The discount rate that you use changes. And now, for the first time, money market is looking like an acceptable alternative. Yes. Bonds, retail bonds are now give, guaranteeing you 11.6% over 10 years. Yeah. That's unheard of. That's nice. <laughs> then of course, fixed income is looking amazing, especially on the South African side. And now you're in a place where there's a lot of volatility. So hedge funds, private equities, and these alternatives are also doing very, very, very well. And now poor old equities has gone through three big corrections since 2018 of, of three volatile periods since 2018. Now, the question is, what now? Yeah. What now? He just graduated high school. He just graduated. What's ahead of him? What's ahead of you? So, we still maintain, because re- history is very evident on this, since the first, um, uh, was it in the Netherlands, the first stock exchange. Mm. In terms of traditional asset classes, there is no other, there is no asset class that outperforms equity in the long term after fees, Cost, well, yeah, costs and taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's created in that, and of course, the dividends that you get from these big corporations as well. So equities is still our champion. They, yes. let's, everybody knows that. But there are now alternatives. Also, in an environment where there is a normalization, although market cap passives aren't necessarily where you'll make money in the next decade, actively being able to actively search for those companies that do add value I think is going to add considerable value to an investor's portfolio in the next decade. So you have alternatives. It's important that you now, once again, reconsider these alternatives in your portfolio. 
But equities in the long term will reign in absolute, will reign in supremacy. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yes, there are other, uh, now they, they've might, yeah, structured products, which is a derivative of equities, but the, the bottom line is equities is still where we want to be. Um, but it's not going to be as simple as just buying the S&P 500 or the MSCI All Country World Index and just making your money over the next decade. Mm. You're going to have to, you're going to need a, an active manager that can that can find those opportunities um, and you're going to need someone that can blend your portfolio. Mm. Um, uh, uh, that th that can give you the advice you need in terms of which where should you be allocating assets next. Um, uh, to 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 which one of these these asset classes. Yes, yes. Exactly. Thank you very much.